Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Cricket Collective from TalkSport 2. I'm not John Norman and he's not Jared Kimber, but over the next hour we'll let you decide whether that's a good thing or not. Yes, it's Steve Harmison and Andrew McKenna taking a look at the first test between England and the West Indies, previewing the second match at Old Trafford, and we'll talk about the very long-awaited return of recreational cricket. All coming up on this week's Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Harmy, um, well, fantastic to speak to you again. Fantastic to speak to you when we've actually had a test match. Fan- uh, yes, it's back. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Mac. And it's great. It was a fantastic test match. It was it was what what you wanted. There was you know there was a few runs. Um, a little bit of look as though what it was. It was going to be a little bit of rustiness because players hadn't played for such a long time. Uh, different without a crowd, but. I thought there was some there was some excellent um, individual performances, some good passages of player, um, and an element of same old same old England. And I think that sums it up in a in a nutshell. I thought the West Indies thoroughly deserved the win, um, and England have got some some huge questions to answer, whether it's the selection committee, whether it's the uh, selectors themselves, whether it's a coach and staff or the captain for the makeup, not only of England's side, yeah, but a lot of things in the game plan as well. I was thinking about this earlier. Do you think we're looking at this game maybe through rose-tinted glasses because we were all just so desperate to see Test cricket again? Or was it as good a game as, as we've all been saying it was? No, I think it was a, it was a good Good game of cricket. I think it wasn't uh, a, 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 a world-beaten, this is going to be the greatest game that's ever played, but it was a good game of cricket. There was some yeah, high level of, of skill, especially with the ball, which surprised me a little bit because as a bowler myself, I know it, it does take you a while to get going. You normally like two or three first-class matches or a little bit more and you know, a couple of weeks in the nets before you get going. And These players haven't had a great deal, especially somebody like Shannon Gabriel, who got man of the match, who got nine wickets in the match. And there was a question mark whether A, he was going to come on this tour because of injury. B, had he you know, really done enough to pass his fitness test? Well, you know, I, I thought he was at, his skill level was high. I thought his, his, his pace was up um, and he got the wickets. So it was more the batsmen that looked rusty in the uh, in this test match rather than the bowlers. But I think as a, as a spectacle goes, I think when the ball is... I'm put in the right area and you're asking questions, especially of batsmen with techniques or who are out of not not in sort of had much form behind them. Um, I think it, it does bode for a good test match. And that's what it was. I thought I thought, you know what? I thought that England 
We can knock England as much as you want. I thought the West Indies bowled brilliantly throughout this whole test match to put themselves in a position to win the match. Um, in England, same old, same old, the batting woes will continue. Which is the interesting bit for me, because straight after the game, it was all, oh, well, England picked the wrong team, or they should have done this at the toss. But whether they should have and whether they shouldn't have, those two decisions were made before a ball was sent down. There was then, well, I was about to say five days play, but four and a bit days play because of uh, the time we lost on day one. Well, actually, they could have made all of those discussions irrelevant. I'm not sure how much of a difference Stuart Broad would have made. The issue was they didn't put enough runs on the board. Now, Stuart Broad might have played, and by the way, I I still don't know, for those people who want Stuart Broad to play, who he would have played instead of, because I thought they all actually had very strong claims to play. But I don't see how Stuart Broad playing would have made that much of a difference if you're only just making over 200 in the first innings and then was it 7 for 50 in the second innings? I mean, <laughs> you're not going to win test matches like that. Absolutely, Macker, and I, I'm with you. I, as I wanted, the day before the game, Stuart Broad, was for me, was a shoe-in. I couldn't believe he wasn't playing. And let's get this right. This is why I said right at the top. Is it the selectors? Is it the coaching staff? Was it the captain? Somebody in there has decided that the West Indies was not was was going to be taken a little bit lightly. Make no mistake about it. Edge Baston, first test match, Ashes, Stuart Broad is the first name alongside Jimmy Anderson. They're the first names on the team sheet when you're in English conditions with the Duke Bowl. I don't understand why that has changed when it comes to the West Indies. Understand you've got Broad, you've got Wood and Archer. England didn't lose this game because of the team that they picked. England didn't lose this game because Ben Stokes won the toss and decided to bat first in sort of rainy, murky conditions. England lost this game because, and I, I'm loath to see it, and I really am, because Makara I, I hear that when people, you know, former players make headlines because, you know, going too strong and too hard. For me, that top seven, top eight, because they could have had somebody else in there, that top eight batting unit, it was the most inexperienced and arguably the weakest I have ever seen for England, and that's something which disappointed me. When I when I you could have picked you could have picked Bairstow in there would give you a little bit more experience. You could have picked Mo and Ali at number eight, who would have give you a little bit more experience. England have gone down the route of not picking Broad, not picking them two lads that I've just mentioned and Bairstow and Ali, who have got experience, and gone with a very youthful top order who have not played for a long, long time and played against top-quality international bowlers. And when you do that, you're running the risk of potentially happening what has just happened. All out for 204, you know, like you said before, 70 runs, 55 wickets. This is this is what potentially could happen. So whoever's made these decisions have got to live by these decisions and they've got to be criticised for them because for me, that's what's let England down. It hasn't been all about Stuart Broad and the the decision at the toss. It was, we have played inexperienced and an inexperienced batting lineup without our captain and put a lot of pressure on Ben Stokes. When you go down down that that batting unit, Rory Burns hasn't played for a long, long time. Sibley is still trying to find his way. 
the the world and the, the world of cricket was on Denley's shoulders. The eyes were de- on Denley for that the whole Test match because they knew that if Crawley got any sort of runs, he was the one that was going to make make here for make way for for Joe Root. Stokes is the only batsman because obviously captain that goes with it. Pope is still relatively young, and Butler. Everybody's having their say about Josh Butler the same way as about Joe Denley. That, for me, was just too much pressure on that. That could have been alleviated by putting a couple of senior players who have been, who are around the group, put them in until the captain comes back. But they didn't, and that's what the the the, 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 pay the penalty. Because um, I just think they've took the West Indies too lightly in this first Test match. The one nil down in the Wisden Trophy. The West Indies hold the Wisden Trophy. England have got to win two Test matches. Is it? You know, you'll talk about not timing for pa- it's not time to panic. It's not. They shouldn't panic. If they think that the wicket at Old Trafford's got a bit of pace in it, then Stuart Broad doesn't play because you've got two 90 mile an hour bowlers who bowl relatively well. But it doesn't take away from what happened with the bat. I'm delighted to say that Rory Dullard from the Press Association is joining us here on the Cricket Collective. He was at uh, the Aegeus Bowl. He was actually there for the uh, the warm-up game as well. So he's he's a, a man well used to uh, the experience of being in the cricket bubble. Uh, Rory, thanks very much for uh, for joining us. You've just been listening to what Harmy was saying there. What was uh, as you were leaving the ground the other night after the conclusion of the first test? What was your overriding sense of that first game? Well, well, honestly, without without wanting to sort of romanticise it too much, as I was driving home, I was overwhelmingly pleased to have seen some cricket and to see some really good cricket. It was a, it was a, it was a fantastic match and that really did, that carried me through a little bit. Now, the England management don't have the luxury of being romantic about it. They've lost a test match and they're 1-0 behind, so they've got some serious questions to ask themselves. But I think for, for the majority of cricket fans, and let's, you know, let's remember, this was watched and listened to by an absolutely phenomenal amount of people around the world because everyone's been missing cricket for four months. So, you know, the, the eyes of the world were on the, the 22 guys out there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've listened to Harmy there and it does seem like there was an unusual amount of questions over that 11, really, at the end of the five days for it being the first match of a of a summer. Now, it's a pretty unique situation because nobody's playing. There's, there's no body of evidence in county cricket for who should be in the team. There's no recent test matches even to go on. So it was a, a slightly a slightly rough decision. And also you do get the impression, whether it's right or wrong, I know in, in professional sport, you always think about the next match, but you know they are picking six test match teams in seven weeks. So there's a, a bit of juggling to be done. I, I know what you're saying there. And that gets, sometimes gets me fired up. This is, this is the England cricket team. And I've said it millions of times. It's not the dog and duck. We are playing six test matches. These are going, these test match points, test match rankings, whatever. I've heard ridiculous things like Jimmy Anderson should be rested for this week. Jimmy Anderson, he's 37-year-old. He's England's leading wicket-taker. He's playing at Old Trafford. You know, the, the, the ball, the, as a bowler, you, you know, you're getting more and more rhythm as you more you play. He doesn't want to miss out in this game because he's, he's thinking what's going to happen in five, six weeks' time. His team's 1-0 down. He wants to play. I think it's very, very difficult when you turn around and say, well, think about what's happening in the sixth test match. Think about mm. what's happening in the second test match. England are 1-0 down now in a series, a three-match series where they don't hold a trophy. In England, it potentially could rain for two days. That means England don't win the Wisdom Trophy if we have a draw in these two test matches. 
Do we really want our best bowlers sitting out watching from a sideline with a high-vis bib on? It's, it's not for me. I think, don't think it's good enough. And I think that was for, right from the start. As soon as they picked this side, there's an element of, well, something, something's happened with Johnny Bairstow. They don't want. They don't seem to want Johnny Besto in and around that team. They're all for picking good lads. Good lads don't win your test matches. Good players do, and I think that's what's wrong with England at the moment. Well, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're saying that top that top order is light on a bit of experience, light on a bit of know-how, perhaps. Well, you look at the because with the conditions being what they are in the bubble, they have to carry seven players as reserves in the in in and around the team in nets in practice. And the next two batsmen in are uh, Dan Lawrence and James Bracey, both uncapped. So if England, if that's the pecking order as we understand it for red ball cricket at the moment, the next two men in uh, will be making debuts. Yeah. Rory, um, just on the experience of the bubble itself, um, how did you get on with it in terms of the test match? As I mentioned, you were actually at the warm-up as well, the only journalist at the warm-up. So you were, you were a bit more experienced with it. And also, how did the the players find it? What was the sort of the discussion afterwards? I'm thinking maybe, you know, from the bowlers in terms of how well they were able to keep the shine on the ball. I mean, did, did it, was the general consensus was it wasn't actually a million miles off of a normal test match? Yeah, now... Both warm-up matches, I did a West Indies warm-up match at Old Trafford as well. So both of the England and the West Indies warm-up matches felt strange. They felt like middle practice. You know, it was, you could hear chit-chat, frankly, from the slips. And there was, there was, for all that both teams talked it up as an intense practice and how, you know, essentially they were playing for places. So there was a little riding on it. It didn't feel right. And... I think the England players themselves actually asked the ECB if they could look at crowd noise in the stadium, uh, which is something we've seen in other sports. That I think that conversation was had after the England warm-up match. They said it didn't feel right and they would like some kind of hum and just some kind of ambient noise, really, because the, the Aegeus ball is is absolutely in the middle of nowhere. You can't even hear anything in the in the background as you would at Old Trafford. So... They found it strange. Now, as soon as day one hit, that I lost that feeling. It, I don't know what it was. I mean, we started with with the Black Lives Matter moment. Maybe that amped up the the emotion or the intensity. It could have been the fact that it was an international test match, game of cricket going on out in the middle. But I've got to say that that sort of eeriness disappeared a little bit. It felt intense, and and really, your eyes were glued on the the twenty two yards in the middle and not the empty stands. Now, the only moment that it felt, I thought, really unusual was when Jermaine Blackwood walked off the pitch, having won the match for his team, 95 runs on the day five pitch, nearly half the chase. And he walked off and there was just this really polite, gentle ripple, like it was like you were playing for your second 11 at the park and, you know, you had 20 mates giving you a nice little clap while they finished the sandwiches. that, that That felt out of keeping with the achievement. Rory Dullard from the Press Association joining us on the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. But how's the Caribbean reacted to the West Indies victory? TalkSport 2's man in Barbados, Barry Wilkinson, explains all. The feeling in the West Indies is, is that the West Indies have won the World Cup. That's what it feels like. I mean, the, the amount of people who have called in on radio programmes today congratulating the West Indies, uh, the amount of messages that have flooded Facebook and other social media, you just get the feeling that they've done something grand. And I understand how people feel because, I mean, they have not had much to celebrate recently. 
COVID-19 has just like sucked the energy out of everyone. And we weren't thinking that we were going to be seeing any cricket coming out of England this summer. So to actually see the first images and the first video of cricket coming out of England and the West Indies winning has brought joy to everyone. And I, I just get the impression as well that everyone was watching this test match uh, from Kingston, Jamaica, right here to Bridgetown, Barbados. Just about everyone watched this test match because nothing else really was happening. Uh, yes, there was some uh, EPL going on, but the focus would have been on the West Indies. And people have fallen in love with test cricket again. Uh, the West Indies have not won a away um, opening match in a series against a team ranked above them since 2007. So in many respects, it is so understandable why people feel this way. And, um, you know, Jason Holder has been a, a massive inspiration to many, especially here in Barbados. He's well-loved. So people feel happy for him as well. And the West Indies team have uh, gone through the mire. I mean, in the last two decades, they haven't had much to celebrate besides some T20 victories and World Cups and what have you. But Test Cricket has really taken a, a bang in. And if they can pull this off, you know, it will be a great series victory for the West Indies. First delivery, He's got an inside edge. 25 again, done all the artwork, Joe Denley. Joseph goes in and bowls in. Denley's left it. He bowls uh, again here and he tries to cut and he edges it and Denley's out. Joe's done extremely well in the in the past year uh, playing inside um, in, some, in some tough scenarios. So, you know, it's, it's not for me to say. Philander in, it's taken the outside edge of Joss Butler as diving Quentin de Kock. He dives right in front of the man at first slip and takes the catch. You can't keep getting out. When, when you need him to perform and he's got to score more. He's so, for, for the talent he has, he's got to score more batting at seven. This is the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. It's Steve Harmison and Andrew McKenna this week taking a look at things. And of course, we've got a team to pick for Old Trafford in the second test match. And as you've just been hearing, the former Joe Denley and Joss Butler are attracting a lot of discussion, shall we say. Now, Steve Harmison, we know that there's going to be one change because that is Joe Root will be uh, back in the squad and in the team. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Mr and Mrs Root on the safe arrival of, of their second child. But how much of a problem has uh, Joe Root being back available created for England? Um, it's, not, it's not too much of a problem. It's a, I think it's, a, it's, it's fantastic that you know, Joe's been able to go away. He had a, a very, very you know, personal triumph. Uh, to you know, see your a child come into the world as as a father is is something um, is something special. But England desperately need their captain back. Not that Ben Stokes did a bad job as captain. I thought he captained the team reasonably well. I thought his bowling changes, field positions were were spot on. But you know, we've we've talked about the inexperience of that batting unit, and England are desperate for their captain and their best player to be back in at number four. And unfortunately, um, for Joe Denley. I think uh, he'd be the one that that misses out. I think Zach Crawley showed enough uh, in that in that second innings where he gets 60, 67, uh, sorry, seventy six of one hundred and twenty seven balls. I think he's done enough now for for to to, to just to take Joe, Joe Denley's place. And I think Joe Denley's been so close to 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 being that international cricketer. He's just not turned a lot of them starts into uh, a big three-figure score. And if he had done that, I think he would, have, he would have kept his place. But unfortunately for Joe Denley, I think he might just miss out for, for the England captain coming back. 
Is this the end for Joe Denley, though? Because if he's now not going to be in the team at this age, is there a point in him staying in the squad longer term? Is this the end for Joe Denley? And would that be harsh to, be, to, to end a man's international career after a test match in the most freakish of circumstances with, with no build-up whatsoever? We've never seen a game of cricket like this. Would it be fair to put a, a bright red line in solid ink through a man's name on the back of that? Yeah, I know what you I know what you're saying, Macker, and I agree totally. I think it would be it would be um, I would say unfair because your career def- you define your career by your performance, and your performance is over uh, however long your your the appear- the amount of appearances you have in your career. So, I think we're not just saying this is a new thing for Joe Denley. This is something that has has gone throughout his uh, his whole Test career where. He's getting into a good start. He's faced a lot of balls, but he hasn't accumulated the runs that the team or he would he would like. The problem he's got is one of the best players of all time, from an English point of view, is coming back, and he has to come back somewhere. Uh, and if it is the end of his career, then you know Joe can look at the circumstances and find himself a little bit hard done by. But I think when you look over the the course of his career, he probably he probably is the right man to make way for for Joe Root. Is it the end? You don't, you never know. You never know what's going to happen at Old Trafford. Zach Crawley, Dom Sibley, Rory Burns, even Joe Root gets a bang on the hand, and you might have to go back to to, to Joe Denley. But at the age of 34, it's a it, it's one of their majors where you think, well, if he doesn't play for the rest of this summer. You know, do we move on to, to does he move on to Pastors New and go with uh, go with a younger model? Probably that would be the case. But to say it's the end, the way the world is at this moment in time, I think um, I, I don't think so. But I think it is the right to call for England to, to to move Joe Denley aside. It is the right call for to bring the England captain in, and I think Zach Crawley, over the course of the start of his career, he's had has showed that this kid's tempo at number three could be just what England need. Well, let's hear from our own Darren Goff, who was talking about this on Drive Time with Andy Goldstein. The one player that's got to go, it's uh, Joe Denley. If you consider yeah. there's, since 2000, there's been 47 batsmen uh, who have played for England um, in at least 15 test matches. I told this to Aid on Friday, and yeah. and he averages under 30, mate. He's 15 tests. Um, he scored 18 and 29 this game. The other guys who have lower average were Jennings who's made 200s in that time in 17 tests in Milan played 15 tests and got 100 and then Nick Compton who played 16 tests and got 200s Joe Denley um, I scores 90 um, and it's just not been good enough now, the uh, former England and Kent batsman and, of course, Kent captain Rob Keyes also has been speaking with Talk Sports about Joe Denley, of course, his uh, former Kent colleague. I think if you ask Joe Denley himself, well, when they, if they do come round to saying it's not you, it's Zach Crawley, I think I've had, I had enough opportunities, I had enough starts to go and really make that spot my own. And he wasn't able to do it. He's probably one of the, the best lads, most honest lads as well, Joe Denley. And I think he'd be pretty honest with his own assessment as everyone else. So that's the Joe Denley discussion. Uh, As we've already said a couple of times, you picked up on it early on as well, Harmy. England have been inexperienced. And Jason Holder actually admitted 
that England targeted that, with Joe Root coming back, then hopefully you address that. Now, Joss Butler's future in Test cricket. Um, actually, let's just hear from uh, Rob Key once again, because obviously um, he's been in and around the, uh, the circle. Rob Key spoke with us about Joss Butler. I think we all just live in hope that this great white ball player can do it with the bat. Now, the chances are he's going to have one more test match to show that. And then it might be folks, Bairstow, people like that. And then they'll just go in the gun as well. Because when Ben Folks, if he struggles in any way, you know, Gabriel, this attack, then it'll be the same thing. The problem is at the moment, it's not like anyone's had any cricket to stake a claim. So now, unless you're the only people playing cricket, bar club cricketers now, is the England test team. So I think he'll get one more test match. And it's probably then down to him to show them what he can do. Now, Harmy, Rob Key there used a phrase uh, and he said, you hope Joss Butler can deliver. I'm completely outed here as being completely a massive fan of Joss Butler. I have a huge man crush on Joss Butler. But actually, I think Keezy has used the right word there. At the moment, we're still hoping that Joss Butler can become that um, that devastating player in Red Bull cricket. And at the moment, it is not happening. Yeah, and I think the England selectors are, are exactly the same as what Keezy's saying there and what you're saying and what I'm saying, Macca. I think we're all in agreement that we all want Joss Butler to do well. Not just because it's the England cricket team. Yeah, Joss is such a nice guy and he's he's a great team man. He's somebody who gives a lot of energy to that team and that group and he's got unbelievably natural talent it just hasn't worked for him for one reason or another it just test match cricket doesn't seem to have worked for him and when Keezy's saying there he hoped I hoped I've said it many many times throughout this African series you know we want him to do well because he could be a game changer at that bottom order especially if you know England get off to a rock solid start but it just it just hasn't seemed to happen. And I think the selectors have hoped as well because they've tried everything with him, whether you bat him at number five, he comes in at number six, you take the gloves off him, you give him the gloves. All these different ways that the England, the England selectors have tried to keep Joss in the side. It hasn't seemed to work. And I, I, I am in agreement with Rob that he, he's probably going to get one more game. And again, what Keezy said is right. Whoever comes in next has got as just a bigger target on his head because there's three of them. Surrey, you know, some people want the Surrey members want Ben Folks in. I personally don't see. I don't see why Johnny Bairstow had to give the gloves up to go and bat in the top order when the top order were feeling. Just find somebody in the top order that can bat in the top order because I thought Johnny Bairstow was scoring. Hunt. And what did he get? He got. He had Johnny Bairstow had six hundreds. Yeah, batting at number seven, average of 35, a modest average, 4,000 runs, 70, he's played 70, uh, he's got 70 caps, and a lot of them is, is wicketkeeper. That, you know, having that coming in at number seven behind Stokes, I think that is, uh, is, 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 a, decent, uh, is a decent thing for your, for your team. But on the Joss front, it's just unfortunate. It just hasn't worked for England as much as the they've tried and as much as we all wanted him to do well um, if he doesn't perform at Old Trafford where he's you know, at home and feels comfortable then I think England might make a change for the third test match 
You see, the thing is, is which way they're going to go. You've, you've mentioned it there. You've got two options. You've got Ben folks, and, and if Johnny sees me in the next few weeks and he hears this, he'll probably punch me in the face. But um, Ben folks is probably the better keeper. I'm not saying that Johnny's rubbish, by the way, because Johnny's not rubbish. And that's why he'd want to punch me in the face for saying it. But Ben folks is a better out and out keeper. And if you're replacing a guy who's making 20s and 30s, uh, with and you're going like for like well Ben folks can easily make you I believe 20s and 30s but he will take that glove down the leg side which which Josh Butler should have taken he is the best keeper by common consent in county cricket at the moment however I wonder if they're going to go down the Johnny Bairstow route Harmy because we've just said England had two poor batting performances and I think Johnny Bairstow is, well, I think it's fairly obvious to, to anyone who's ever watched cricket. I think Johnny Bairstow is a better batsman than Ben Folkes at the moment. And therefore, I think that might really help him. Now, where they put him in the order, that's another, that's another question entirely. But you just, you just think that if, if Joss Butler fails again with the bat, then Johnny, is, surely he's going to get the call. I hope it's Johnny. I really do. And that's nothing against Ben, ben Folkes. I think Ben Folkes is a fantastic gloveman. Um, and I think he's he did a great job in in Sri Lanka, um, but I think I think Johnny Johnny Bairstow at number seven was doing a he was doing a, a decent job for for his country when England's top border wasn't scoring any runs and he got because we had Joss Butler and we wanted to try and get Joss in the team we decided right. Johnny's going to play as an out-and-out batsman and take pressure off him because you know, he doesn't need the gloves because we've got somebody somebody else that's there. Um, I, I don't see what he did, you know, a hundred what what he's done, you know that 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 100% wrong to get the gloves taken off him. Other than you know they had they tried to fit Josh Butler, Josh Butler in a team. It was like we've got 11 players here. We're going to pick the, our, our best 11 players and fit them in by hook or by crook. So I think it it should be best though. I don't. I'm not sure if Johnny's done something wrong towards either the management or his face isn't fitting at this moment in time, but it just seems as though Johnny's been sort of moved to one side and he's been isolated a little bit. And um, I think England are a better side when Johnny Bairstow in it. And that is why I'd, I'd, I'd go for, for Bairstow. And so folks didn't do, you know, he didn't do a great deal wrong in Sri Lanka. But for me, who was going to get international hundreds batting at number six or number seven? And I would say Johnny Bester will get more than Joss Butler and Ben Folks. So, Harmy goes for Johnny Bairstow going forward if it doesn't work out with Joss Butler. What about Stuart Broad? Of course, he gave that really interesting interview with uh, Sky TV during the game. We'll bring you some of that next and then have a discussion about Stuart Broad. Where does he uh, fit in and uh, how do you pick an England side for this Old Trafford test? You are listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Hold that, please. Level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? 
Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm not a particularly emotional person, but I've found the last couple of days quite tough. So I'm disappointed would be an understatement. You know, you get disappointed if you drop your phone and break your screen. I've been frustrated, angry, uh, gutted. I've probably bowled the best I've ever bowled in the last couple of years. Um, I felt like it was my shirt. So it is hard to take, um, but also I'm quite pleased I feel frustrated and feel gutted and angry because if I didn't, I'd have a different decision to make. I don't think I've got anything to prove. You know, England know what I can do. The selectors know what I can do. And when I get that opportunity again, you can, you can bet that I'll be on the money. It is the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. And that, of course, Stuart Broad speaking with Sky uh, during the uh, first test match against the West Indies. A much-discussed interview uh, in the ever since he did it. I mean, it was a fascinating listen. Don't get me wrong, but it's made an awful lot of headlines since. Now, of course, at the end of the test match, uh, England captain Ben Stokes spoke with the media and was asked his thoughts about what Stuart Broad had said. Looking at the interview he gave to Sky Sports, I thought it was it was absolutely brilliant to see the the desire and passion that he showed and in, in the answers that he gave. If he wasn't like that, then I would be worried. You know, if it was just oh yeah, it's, oh well, let's hopefully we get picked for the next one, then you know I'll be a bit concerned. But to see somebody like that who's played over a hundred Test matches, got so many wickets as he has, to still see that fire burning deep inside and and want to to go out and perform for England at every every opportunity. You know, it was fantastic to see as a senior player in this team and, and amazing to still see that in somebody who's played so many games. So, Steve Harmison, um, first of all, did did Stuart Broad just be open and honest, which is, of course, what we always like players to be? Or should he have been more guarded, realising what he was going to say was going to be amplified all around the world? Or did Stuart Broad know exactly what he was doing? Stuart Broad knew exactly what he was doing. Maka, this guy, Stuart Broad, backs himself to be the best bowler that's on this planet. That's why he's, that's why him and Anderson are so good. Because they believe in their own ability and they've got confidence in their own ability and they back themselves in every way. That's why Stuart Broad is still playing, you know, and playing as many test matches as he does, as the same as Jimmy Anderson. And Jimmy would have done something similar because the simple fact is Stuart Broad thought he should have been playing. Now, Stuart Broad can take it on the chin, walk away, stay in the background, not a problem, let other people do the talking for him. Stuart Broad is like, right, I'm not going nowhere. I want to play at Old Trafford, and if I get a chance to do an interview, whether it's in the written or the, you know, the 
in the on the TV. I'm going to say exactly how I feel. And he was quite good. He was he's a he's a he's a good operator, Stuart. And then I thought he was spot on. I thought he he, he got it he got it perfectly right. Now he's basically saying, right, I was wanting to play. I back the team's decision, but I'm ready and I'm I'm ready and and, and waiting to go at Old Trafford. Now he is not thinking, right, oh pressure's on me when I get to Old Trafford. He's thinking, when I get to Old Trafford, I'm going to show you that Stuart Broad is not finished as a bowler, and that's exactly what he's going to do. The argument on the other side is, does Stuart Broad play at Old Trafford? We're going to a we're going to a ground which is normally has got a bit of pace in it. We've got two 90 mile an hour bowlers in Wood and Archer, who I thought Mark Wood can hit the he can have time off and hit the ground running no problem whatsoever. Bowl 90 odd mile an hour. It just seems that's the way he's been made up. And that's his that's yeah that's the way Mark Wood is because of all the injuries he's had to come back. And, and he he does nothing slowly, bang straight in. I thought Jofra Archer got better as a Test match went on, not just because his figures proved that his rhythm looked as though he's better. He looked as though he had more control with the ball. His pace was getting he was getting better. So it's an interesting decision. If it's got pace in the wicket, England's bowling attack didn't do a great deal wrong. So it's not the bowling that's the problem it's the batting so why should we change this side that's the difference that's that's as has England's management team got the guts and got it in them to go you know what we bowled alright here we're going to have a bit more piercing a bit more assistance we've seen what happened in St Lucia when Wood really when Woody really got stuck into them I'm going to go with the same batting unit one change Denley out root in that would be not so much a brave call but I think possibly could be the right call Absolutely. And the other thing, just quickly on the Stuart Broad thing as well, I think people need to realise th- this this isn't come off the back of being dropped for a for a game at Southampton. This is Stuart Broad who who, who thinks he's had the raw end of it because he uh, what hammered his way round Sri Lanka yeah. a couple of winters ago. It wasn't picked. Then, as you mentioned, in the West Indies, and, and this is nothing against Sam Curran, but Stuart Broad suddenly found himself out of a side and watched Sam Curran open the bowling in a Test match, which I think we'll all now agree was one of the worst decisions that's ever been made in the history of cricket. And I'm including Nasser Hussain going, yeah. uh, "We'll have a bowl in that." Matt, so it just seems that there's there's some uh, there's somebody or uh, something inside that England management system. That wants to be trying too clever for their own good. Move Bearstow out. Bring Butler, you know, bring Butler in. You know that that hasn't worked. We'll try and get rid of. We'll try and split Broad and Anderson up. And Nasser Hussain, you mentioned there, he, he he says something all the time. Horses for courses. You know, horses for courses away from home. Broad and Anderson probably don't play on the same side because of the Cougar ball and a flat pitch. Horses for courses on a rainy, damp Southampton deer. Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson are the first two names you pick. You go to Old Trafford where there's a bit more pace in it. It's a bit, you know, a bit of a flatter wicket. Then you might think about leaving Broad or Anderson out. Probably Broad, because of Jimmy, the way Jimmy bowls at at, um, at Old Trafford, as opposed to probably playing playing Stuart at somewhere like Trent Bridge. Now horses for courses selections, but there's somebody somebody seems to be wanting to be funky in that in that management group whether it's the selectors and they're trying to you know, move people out. For me, it's backfiring. It's backfired a few times now. And Broad has carried this bowling attack for the last two years around the world while Jimmy's been missing. And that's why Stuart Broad should have played at Southampton. I'd argue, yes, he probably not played at Old Trafford. That was probably the right decision if it's the pitch that we expect it to be with a little bit of pace and carry in it. Now, 
They've dug a hole for themselves. I just wonder if they're brave enough to stand up to Stuart Broad and say, nope, you're not playing at Old Trafford either. And of course, the problem is you can't even say to Stuart, go back to Notts and play a game because of course, exactly. there isn't any county cricket at the moment. So you, you kind of, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, and you can't do anything about it. Um, interesting, you mentioned Joffre Archer there because uh, Ben Stokes uh, was asked about Joffre Archer's performance in the uh, the press conference afterwards, and what, what didn't get spiky, but maybe a little bit tetchy. He's an X Factor player, but he's also you know, not trying to read into that too much. He's also a very skillful player. So it's great to see him back out on the field bowling like that today. But let's not look too far forward ahead like you guys did last time after the World Cup and then start shooting him down again. Um, it's great signs to see Joffre being able to run in and do what he did today. So, yeah, very pleased with his efforts. Well, the one thing we have to all agree was, I think, Harmy, we were all desperate to see how Joffre Archer went because, of course, we've now found, identified and hopefully cured the elbow issue. And it did look, I mean, I'm sorry to do this to Ben Stokes because this is just what he, he was asking us not to do, uh, to get too excited and, and allow Joffre to get back in. But it did look like Joffre was, was back to the bowler that we first saw in that Ashes series. And that's great news. It is great news. And you know, Ben, I think Ben's got, a, he's got a little bit of a point where Joffre came in with this great big fanfare I can probably the the closest I can say that had that was Kevin Peterson during during my time. Mm. Um, you are going to get a big fanfare when you've got somebody as as a special talent like Joffre. But as a bowler, I understood exactly where where Joffre is at this moment in time. It just it does take sometimes, especially when you bowl as quickly as as Joffre does. It does take us that little bit more time to get yourself going. You know, I, I'll go on experience for myself. It used to take me two or three weeks just to get it up straight, you know, from my bowling action to go from sort of falling over every other, every second, third ball to like getting it, you know, action higher and action stronger. And it's just trying to replicate your bowling action and getting the muscles going and getting them strengthened up for limit the stiffness day, day after day after day after. And there's no cricket being involved. It's very difficult to go from first gear to fifth gear. Mark Wood's the only person I've ever seen, I think, him and Simon Jones, that I've ever ever seen do it. But I thought there was good signs for Joffrey Archer as he got better during the test match. And that's why, if, if you're going to bring Stuart Broad back, then that's why I'd potentially keep Archer in the side because Archer seemed to be getting better and keep his rhythm going, get him through this next test match, and then... Possibly, if you're gonna, if they bring Broad back, then Wood would probably miss out, and then you'd argue, well, see how Jofra's elbow goes, because they are special, them two, Wood and Archer, they're special. We need them away from home more than we probably need them at home, but we need one of them in the side every single Test match we play because of you know, the other the pace that the bowl at. I thought Archer bowled better as the game went on. I thought Woody bowled with good good pace, didn't have a great deal of luck, but. You know, when you, Ben Stokes goes and says we put too much, we have built them up too much. Again, Ben, you're in, you're in international sport. The world was watching. The world is always watching, um, and that's the nature of the beast. Unfortunately, now. Yeah, absolutely. Just one final thing about um, Manchester Test. Um, I, I did a bit of digging uh, in this one because I did wonder how the England team were going to get from Southampton to Manchester and. Obviously, they're, they're going to uh, make their way up the motorway. But the reason for that, I was thinking, you know, with COVID, were they going to be on a team coach? And, and in effect, if you like, be on tour 
albeit in their own country. And I thought that might be quite an interesting way of, of going about it. But um, I, I found out from, from within the, the England setup that they're actually driving their own cars from Southampton to Manchester. Now, I suppose on one hand, you, you can say, well, actually, that, that makes sense. They're in and around their own surroundings. And it gives them a little bit of a break away from, from the England group of players. They've all been so close together. And they probably can't nip home due to the regulations and whatever. But I did wonder, Steve, if, if it might have been the an idea idea to almost have be on tour in your own country do it as a bus journey you know have have some fun all together on the on the bus up to manchester you know do it old school kind of thing um i wondered if that might be a little sort of a little kind of morale thing for the squad yeah but i think they're the spending that much time with each other throughout this this whole bubble effect i think it it, it could be a, a good way of getting um your own space uh, I've done it once, I think, with England in England, where we drove to, we had to drive to Edgebaston, and then get the coach. And for me, I didn't enjoy it. It didn't work. Plus, what? It took me four hours to get Edgebaston, and then wherever we finished the test, the, whatever the, the the series was, we had to get back to Edgebaston to get our cars to go home. So, for me, I think logistically, it's not a bad thing because then at the end of the test series, once it's done, you can disperse and get off as quickly as you possibly can. Because you're spending that much time with each other, I I don't I didn't don't have a, a an issue or a problem with that. These guys get tested every sort of second, third day, whenever it is. So if there was any symptoms that did uh, did did crop up, uh, I'm sure they'll be getting you know, they'd quickly get isolated. So I don't see there being too much of a, a health issue with it. Um, but it's actually you know what after after a long hard week like that, it's actually quite nice to drive your own car listen to your own music or listen to whatever radio station you want and be in your own space for three or four hours because you, know, you spend so much time with each other. Sometimes it is a good, t- good thing to get released, so I don't mind. I think it's quite a good idea. It is the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport to, to the final part of this exactly. And that's probably a very relaxing place to be. Of course, recreational cricket was back cricket this weekend. Um, we'll have a chat with David Smith from the Institute of Cricket. About of course, underway on recreational cricket back. So it's time for our Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. And I'm delighted to say that David Smith from the Institute of Cricket is joining us here on uh, TalkSport 2. David, thanks very much for joining us. You could almost hear the uh, the sighs and the whoops and, and of excitement all up and down the country on Saturday afternoon as recreational cricket was finally back. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think that this was the this was the proper Super Saturday, wasn't it? On Saturday, with the return of uh, return of recreational cricket. Look, it's been a a long, you know, a long uh, summer, I suppose. You know, lots of speculation about when you know cricket will re- return. Uh, but you know, to finally get the green light in a in a format that I think encourages adults to want to get back to playing, it, it was obviously crucial. You know, I think there was obviously a lot of speculation about maybe six or eight side returning, and look, I just don't think that that would have uh, you know, got a lot of adult cricketers back in, you know, to playing cricket. But the, now, the fact that it's 11 aside and, you know, 40 overs, uh, you know, what a result. It's, uh, it's great to come on the show and finally start, start being positive and talking about cricket again. Absolutely. Now, president of Ashington Cricket Club, <laughs> Steve Harmison, uh, did you pop along to, uh, to the first Saturday? I did, yeah. I popped along. We played, uh, Ashington played a 15-over uh, game. Um, 
more from the fact that Newcastle United kicked off at half 12. That's why they played <laughs> a 15-over game. But it was it was good to see the boys back out and playing. And it was uh, it was quite amusing because brother against brother. Um, my two brothers, James against Ben. And Ben, who's got a, you know, obviously first-class cricket background on uh, on his CV, uh, he bowled James' first ball in the uh, in the in the match, so there wasn't uh, wasn't much love lost in the in the game of cricket. But it was a good to see them back playing. And David, just you, you mentioned there the forty overs because I get fired up sometimes when I see the Premier League and the player they were going to play time cricket in fifty overs, and it's something that we didn't mirror the um, the, the, the the professional game. Um, but what we've got here now is forty overs. I think they're going to play coloured clothing up in the in the northeast. I'm intrigued to know, and I would love to to push the fact that we should be using first-class grounds more, i.e. something as an incentive, because in Northumberland and Durham, you've got a Northumberland group of eight, Durham group of eight, and I think there might be a final, but I think the final should be played at Durham's Chester Street Cricket Ground, and I think that would work throughout the whole country, played at these big venues, a big final from a regional point of view, to give these recreational cricketers an incentive for something, you know, a day out to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. I think that, you know, my local county, Warwickshire, are, are actually really good with that. They they do. Uh, and last last summer, we launched a, a hundred ball competition last year, which was obviously a sort of a prelude to a, like the starting of the, you know, the hundred ball this summer. But the final of that competition actually was played on the main ground at Edgebaston, which Brilliant. is obviously a great, you know, a great incentive for the players to obviously enter the competition, first of all, but also you know, to work hard to get to the final because what a day out that everybody remembers as a, as a club cricketer getting to play at, you know, a, a test ground. And yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, in, in the Birmingham League, they are, uh, we're doing four groups of six, which are all regionalised competitions. And it's actually going to be um, red ball cricket, white clothing, because they felt that, you know, it was lots of clubs maybe didn't have the, the correct clothing or ha- as many sort of supplies as that as possible. So I think they just wanted to get the game up and running and, and keep it as simple as possible. But I think obviously white ball and, and coloured clothing will come into the Premier League next summer. It's an interesting one, David, because I was hearing over the weekend, as, as you mentioned, this sort of maximum of 40 overs. Um, so it, it was interesting because some, some, well, uh, some, I don't know if it's leagues, but certainly some clubs had said, well, I tell you what, instead of playing 40 overs each, why not play two lots of 2020 games? And that way we can maybe use 15, 16 players between those two games. And that way more people get an involvement over the course of the weekend. And, and that to me seemed, seemed a really good idea. But of course, um, maybe that will happen in the sort of year third and fourth 11 kind of thing. Maybe the, the first and the seconds need to play that sort of more, I, I hate to use the word, but, but more serious competition. Yeah, you know, uh, as we said, as we talked about before, you know, we were we were desperate just to get any form of cricket back, you know, whether that was in a, you know, the form of a 10 over competition or a 40 over competition. So, you know, I think we'll cert- certainly sort of take take what what we can get, but uh, and in the Birmingham League, we've actually got league cricket returning this weekend coming on on the 18th of July. So, four teams uh, where I'm from, Nolan Dorish Cricket Club, we've got four teams that start uh, their league format all 40 over cricket, you know, this weekend. So, that's going to be 44 players that are you know, desperately looking forward to getting back into some competitive cricket, albeit with the obviously the, the adaptations that the uh, ECB have put in. So, and David, what about the the junior section? We've got the school, uh, the official school holders coming up uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, are we going to get kids back playing the amount and the volume of cricket like they used to? 
I think so. I think so. Look, we've we've been inundated since we returned to, to training back on the 18th of May from a one-to-one group coaching, club coaching, it's all kicking back off. And, and, and now every club's just going to work through how to maximise their ground use over the next two, three months, realistically, to, to get as many children playing cricket as possible. Because I think a lot of children spend a lot of time winter training now as well. So if they'd have just had a, a, another period of training throughout the summer and then go back into a winter phase of training, it would have been really demoralising for them. But now, you know, clubs are very much uh, looking to maximise ground use and get as many children playing the game as possible this summer. I always remember, David, from my time playing club cricket, that we always got a bit of a problem about the back end of August, start of September, as, of course, the football season kicked in and so many of the guys uh, went and either played club football themselves or indeed went and watched um, the the local sides uh, once the the football league season kicked off. I'm trying to work out in my head... Do you think we're going to be better off this year or, or worse off? I suppose we're going to be better off because there's going to be no, game, no football games for people to watch and therefore they'll stay and play cricket. Um, but then again, there's going to be that overlap of people who actually want to play for their, their football team. Yeah, and, and we have a similar, similar issue to deal with really at our club. We've got a couple of guys that play semi-pro football. So, you know, it, it's quite common for them that sort of by the time August comes around that the the cricket bags put away and the football boots come back out. So, and I, and I can't see that, you know, I can't see that changing because obviously recreational footballers are just as keen to get back to playing, you know, their, their sport as obviously what cricketers are. So yeah, look, I think it'll, it'll I think, you know, the clubs are used to that problem, you know, and, and are obviously used to dealing with that, but, you know, hopefully that's where the junior players come in and they can actually feed into playing some, you know, some more senior cricket as well. So now that we're back up and running, um, there was there were some interesting regulations that were put in place. Like um, there had to be running lanes for for the striker and the non-striking batsmen, so they didn't get in the way of the bowler and all of that. Um, was there any sort of feedback? Was there any word from from the players about actually how easy that was to implement, or was it just a case? Do you, do you think that everyone just sort of maybe just went back in and and, and sort of did what they've been so trained to do for so long? Yeah, I think that I think out of all the adaptations, I think that's probably the, the going to be the most challenging one for for players to to adapt to because you know if you're going for a quick single, you you're going to forget to go on the two meter line, you know, and then and then run in a straight line. So I think that's going to be probably the hardest ad- adaptation for players to get used to. But it, it's like everything, isn't it? In two two or three weeks down the line, and I'm sure that players you know will start to adapt to that and uh, and get used to the way of the new game working. But yeah, I can't see many players if they're running for a quick single looking for that, that white line before running in a straight line. So, David, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. That was the Breaking no, no, uh, the Boundaries bit. feature with the Institute of Cricket here on TalkSport 2. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. So th- there you go. Club cricket I- is back up and running. An interesting one, this Harmony, because of course this week we are a year on from England's World Cup win, and it means that with all of this happening, we've not had a chance to build on the success of that win. Or do you know what? Maybe we did, but we're not actually been able to see it for the last few months. So uh, uh, maybe that ship has, has now sailed on. It, it's an interesting one, this from from you know cricket's point of view in in England and Wales at the moment, because there was this great opportunity to build. You know, cricket last summer was was everywhere thanks to the World Cup, thanks to the Ashes. 
it does feel like that we've, we've had the opportunity to build on that kind of taken away from us. Yeah, I think I think it did. It it was there. I still think it is there. I think it was there. I've seen a, a big mark difference at the end of last the last cricket season from the start of the cricket season. Um, I think there was a lot during. I've seen obviously my kids in the in the county setups going to like the junior training. You see the the the, the cricket shirts that they've got on in the World Cup. It, it, it was everywhere. I think it was there, and I and I, and I do believe it will come back once we start playing the game of cricket again. Um, it's just fascinating to see, you know, some of the not just in uh, club cricket, but in professional cricket, especially when first class cricket starts. How many of these new formats? How many of these new rules? How many of these new tournaments are still with us in three to five years' time? Because I think there's a lot of good ideas have come out off the back of just wanting to get cricket back up played, like David said there. And there's some, some rule changes that possibly the lawmakers were frightened to do. Was that probably the best way to say it? Frightened to change the norm or worried to change the norm if, to, just in case it backfired. Now they can implement 40 overs, regional competitions, potentially play in the finals at the, uh, the, the closest first-class venue. These are all good ideas which probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't have been for this pandemic. So, you know, I still think there's, you know, the club cricket is, is, is still bouncing. I still think juniors are wanting to play the game. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed we get a good weather for the back end of the summer over the weekends and we can get some good cricket played well into the into late September. So just finally then, Harmy, we are running out of time. Uh, England, uh, as you mentioned, the, the new norm. Uh, well, as is England's norm lately, uh, they're going to go into the second test match of a series 1-0 yeah. down. Are you expecting England to win the Old Trafford test? Well, yes, I would I would say so. I think England might be just going to kick it on the backside. Root comes back in, probably for, for Denley. And if the wicket's got some pace in it, then you'd be loath to change the bowling unit. But I do think they will bring Broad back, probably at the expense of Mark Wood, and keep Mark Wood for and replace Mark Wood with Jock for Archer for the third Test match. So I, I only see minimal changes, and Josh Butler getting a chance at home to potentially save his international Test match career. Harmy, thank you so much. Really enjoyed chatting as always. Uh, we'll keep you right up to date with the events at Old Trafford, of course, and the Cricket Collective. We'll be back next week here on Talksport Two. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.